Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of the Georgia Music Teachers Association podcast. My name is Bebe Lin, Vice President of Membership with GMTA. One of my favorite things about doing this podcast is meeting new musicians, especially those who are not pianists, to hear their perspectives on performance, life, and teaching. And today I am joined by violinist Larissa Elisha, who comes to us both as a successful soloist and chamber musician, which I'm sure we'll talk about through the course of our conversation. Please make sure you listen to the end of this episode where we will feature a performance by Larissa and pianist, Dr. Carla Rocker. So without further ado, here is Larissa Elisha. Hello, Larissa. Hello, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so happy to be here with you. Well, we are so honored by your time and by your willingness to speak with us. So let's just start out with an introduction. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, at this point, I am uh, the coordinator of Upper String Studies and Professor of Music at the Great School of Music at Georgia Southern University. So uh, I am teaching violin, viola, and chamber music. And of course, I'm teaching method and pedagogy because that is my passion. And method and pedagogy for string players, not, that is not every school offers that. So that is really important and I'm proud that we are offering this course. And of course, I am teaching string methods to our music educators. So uh, my background, I think I was incredibly fortunate to be educated in a former Soviet Union with studying with incredible teachers. I was very fortunate studying to study with a student of great Russian legendary violinist, David Oistrov. Her name was Olga Parhomenko, and I felt that her passion for performing and teaching also kind of inspired me doing the same. What got you started in music? Did you grow up in an environment and with a family that was musical? Uh, not really. Even there was a passion, but not really. My sister was playing violin and never continued that. She didn't want to practice. She wasn't interested, but I wanted to play instrument right away. Uh, my mother was telling me that I was composing little songs and then I didn't have real piano, so that was toy piano. So whatever was not enough on the keyboard, I was singing and adding to it. So family knew that I need a real piano. So piano is also one of my passion. You know, I played piano for a very long time and later on I had to decide which way to go. And my mother told me that when I couldn't even speak well, I was asking to get me violin. So that was something that happened from very early childhood. I started studying violin when I was five. And I'm so grateful now I remember how um, masterfully my teacher introduced me to theory introduced me to just to abilities to learn about music and reading it so easily. So uh, without even realizing that I'm learning, I, I, I was prepared to audition when I was seven to audition for special music school for gifted, which kind of every republic and former Soviet Union would have just one school like that. And there was as well boarding schools also in those capital cities where kids would come from other places if they didn't live in capital city. So I think that was excellent opportunity. And the fact that I arrived there already playing instrument after two years of studies that kind of helped me to be accepted to that school. 
Yeah, so the, the training in uh, former Soviet Union, I think, to Western minds always seems very rigorous, very intense, very elite. Can you um, provide like a little more insight? Because the way you describe it seems so lovely and so warm. What what was your relationship with your teachers like in that system? Honestly speaking, oh, you don't get too many compliments in that system. And if you didn't get crit critique, that is already a compliment in a way. But at the same time, I was able to work with wonderful people, very warm people, inspiring people. Um, and there is opportunity for kids who want to do it just for the development and for fun. There are lots of music schools that are uh, available for kids to attend after school. So they can attend the schools and perform there and learn, but they don't have to continue. The, but be, becoming a student at special music school for gifted, that gives kind of special uh, pressure because all students were reevaluated every single year. And those who were not showing appropriate progress and development, uh, there would be suggestion, why won't you just uh, move to regular music school and do other things. What I think was really great that those schools were not focusing on music because the ambition was that if somebody even with great abilities will uh, graduate, they should be able to go in different fields. So I remember how strong all other areas were, were. like some people would go in biology and medicine and uh, math. So everything had to be covered on a very high level. So that made those studies pretty difficult, uh, but I am so grateful that that was at least in one place. And we had wonderful orchestra studies and chamber music. I remember learning uh, all those basic things like selfish ear training, harmony as little kids. Uh, and that was so natural. I remember we had class that called rhythmic and everyone loved it because it was kind of like walking and dancing to the rhythm and conducting. So I learned conducting as a little child without knowing that I'm learning conducting. So it's kind of like, I mean, conducting in terms of uh, patterns. So later on, when you are a string player, you're coming into the orchestra, you are reading conductors patterns without any problem because you already went through that training. So many things that come to young children easily and when they are introduced later on, they may seem harder. But early education, I think that help, helps a lot. So I was reading through your biography, and it looks like you spent some time teaching in Poland before coming to America. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And then ultimately, how is it that you ended up in America? Yeah, this is such great questions, interesting questions, because sometimes when somebody would ask me, where is your home? It was hard to tell because my entire family was living in, uh, in the United States already. And uh, I kind of, I didn't have any roots left there where I came from. And I was born in Baku, that is Azerbaijan by Caspian Sea, the most gorgeous place. But I was studying in Belarus just because I was following my teacher. So that was kind of traditional thing that if you are passionate about particular teacher, you will follow where their path will bring you. So that brought me to Belarus. 
And later on, I was invited to teach in Poland. And I was invited to give master classes, actually. That was in Lipinski Academy of Music. And after that, they offered me to stay there for one year. And later on, they offered me live contract, how they call it. And then I auditioned for concert master position for State Philharmonic Orchestra. And I accepted that position. So I was kind of writing this two full-time, very difficult positions in Academy of Music and Concert Master of State Philharmonic Orchestra, plus playing chamber music and solo for 12 years. And that was in Breslau, Poland. Breslau, that is old name of the city because I used to be Germany. And now it calls Wroclaw. So that was really interesting, especially that I traveled a lot and performed a lot. And when I give master classes in different countries like Lithuania, Taiwan, Israel, that gives me so such a wonderful perspective on different kind of approaches and different work ethics and student preparation and how they react in progress. That is really interesting. And uh, while teaching in Poland, I also, when you are coming to a different country, you're trying to understand how those students are prepared and how to approach them in a way that is familiar to them at the, at the same time to bring your own standards without making it shocking. So I felt like it was excellent experience and I, I just loved them all because they were so dedicated and so wonderful. And later on, I was uh, fortunate to work with uh, students in different countries and learn from them, from their interests and understanding what points of string playing might be problematic in some areas. Because from questions and topics that come up during master classes, you kind of realize where is this weak point and where are stronger parts of it. Uh, and then I was invited to, for one year, to Wisconsin, University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee. And later on that also, this time kind of got longer for two years and I performed in Institute of Chamber Music Trio. And I was teaching uh, in Wisconsin Conservatory of Music. And later on, since my family then was in Milwaukee, I, of course, I felt like, wow, that is really a great opportunity for me to be uh, near my mother and other family members. So after that, I kind of decided to stay because I immediately developed contacts with orchestras and some of even conductors. Those were conductors who visited Poland and I performed with them. So it was kind of like almost a reunion type of thing. And, you know, orchestra, State Philharmonic Orchestra that I performed with, that is kind of full-time orchestra that we had two concerts every single week. And we had different conductor every single week. So uh, that is really interesting. And that requires so much flexibility because you have to react to very different pattern. Of course, we had our artistic conductor and his assistant, and they were scheduled for some programs, but we had to work with international conductors from all over the world. And I remember having just Sunday after Friday and Saturday performances, just a Sunday to receive new music and prepare bowings. And the librarian will pick it up and will put it in parts and next week was ready for new program and new conductors. So that was very different. 
So I will admit that earlier, um, a few days ago, when we talked on the phone and you called me, I noticed that your phone number is from Kansas. And that, that really stuck out to me because I grew up in Kansas. So then how did you end up in Kansas of all places? That is a very interesting question. I accepted a job in Kansas, you know, in Topeka, Kansas, at Washburn University. And I accepted position that was kind of a joint position, concert master of the Pika Symphony and artist and resident violinist at uh, Washburn University. And I spent there also 12 years, I think it's magic, magic number, right? <laughs> so anyway, so that's how I got in Kansas. Yes. Where, where are you from in Kansas? I grew up in Wichita, Kansas. Wichita, Kansas. Well, Wichita has really a really special connections with me because I was concert master of Wichita Grand Opera. And I had pleasure of performing with Luciano Pavarotti and Placido Domingo with Wichita Grand Opera. Those memories are just priceless. Yeah. Yeah. I think growing up in Wichita, Kansas, I didn't realize how rich the musical culture there was until I left and I realized, wow, like I really grew up in a place that had really high quality music. I mean, I have I have friends from middle school and high school that went on to great conservatories because we just grew up with such great teachers in that area. So. Okay, so uh, let's turn our attention to our discussion of the piece that we're going to listen to. Can you tell us a little bit about both the composer and the piece that we're going to listen to later on in the podcast? Sure. You know, the reason I included this works in my recital, the recital called Travel Some Time, I just wanted to present different pieces starting from Handel, Tartini, Mozart, uh, I performed also Chrysler on that program and later on Chagrin because this composer really stands out as a, one of the greatest composers, the Russian composers, and truly he is considered to be next after Dmitry Shostakovich. And ever, even though his works are performed in famous concert halls by the most prestigious and wonderful, you know, in prestigious events and by great performers, sometimes his name is not so kind of familiar to many people. And what is really known in the, uh, the United States, that is his suite based on his ballet, that is Carmen's suite. And the reason he was writing this incredible ballet music, he was writing actually in every genre, every genre. But the reason he was writing ballet music, his wife uh, was prima ballerina from the Bolshoi Theater. And that is legendary figure, legendary dancer. And he composed for her all this great music. Uh, when he was developing, what is interesting about, what was really interesting for me about his background, that he was developing as a young musician surrounded by composers like Shostakovich, Prokofiev, Kabalevsky. He was literally going to concerts of Emil Gillels, Svetoslav Richter. So he was so inspired by those great pianists that he decided that he will study piano. And he became a brilliant pianist. That's why he composed piano concerti and he composed even concerti for several pianists, which is kind of unusual thing. 
And when that came to perform his works, the famous conductors in Russia, like Rostovsky, Svetlanov, Kondrashin, they performed his works a lot. And when that came to perform his piano concerto, he was the soloist because he was so great. So this particular piece that we were talking about, that is an imitation of Albanis. He was fascinated, like probably every composer was fascinated with Spanish music. And he dedicated his, this particular piece to his wife. And I played other pieces as well that calls humoresque. It's interesting that these works are so unusual and so fun that there are so many transcriptions for all instruments actually. But transcription for violin, I think original was for piano because he is a great pianist. He is with us, so he's still a great pianist. Uh, but you know, he dedicated this piece to his wife and he created this arrangement for transcription rather for violin and piano. Interestingly enough, his chamber music is also not so very, very well known in uh, kind of in the world, but is performed a lot. And so, I, I don't know why his name is not so familiar. Maybe it's so hard to spell it or maybe it's hard to pronounce. <laughs> but I just wanted to include him uh, in that concert that I was giving this recital because I wanted to kind of for listeners to compare different styles. Yeah, so speaking of pronouncing his name, when you sent the, the recording to me, I recognized the name because I think we had talked about it in like a keyboard literature class during my like master's degree or something. But I, I honestly didn't know how to pronounce it. So say his name again for me, please. Radion Shidrin. Shidrin. Radion Shidrin. Okay. Great, thank you. And um, so speaking about his his wife, I, you know, I did a little bit of research before our conversation. I did find out that his wife was a beautiful ballerina and there is a black and white video recording of her performing on YouTube, if anyone wants to look it up. And then in addition to that, there's a video clip. It looks like it's clipped out of a longer interview that the Cleveland Orchestra has posted where he pays a beautiful tribute to his wife. So I'm going to just insert this quote. He says in this video clip, he says, I got lucky. This firebird, so speaking about his wife, landed in my hand and I will forever be grateful. And in this video, he talks about how much she inspired the music that he wrote. Oh, she was absolutely unbelievable. Her name is Maya Plisetskaya. And I remember as a child, I was so fascinated because her every movement was musical because she was kind of incorporating sounds in the motion. And that was unbelievable. I remember being just so fascinated by her and you would never be able to separate ballet from music that was so connected. And she was dancing really late in her age and very contemporary type of choreography. I think she was doing her own choreography at some point and he was composing great music for her. Yeah, it, it seems like she achieved like international stardom. I mean, I'm not in the ballet world, so I didn't know, but it was really fascinating to read about her life. And it seems like she comes from a very artistic family as well, like her her aunt and uncle. And he, she has a niece that's also a ballerina. So it, it was I just I love that video where he talked about her and just paid such a beautiful tribute. And it seems like 
from what I read, he's still living. Is that correct? Do you know? That is correct. Yes. So he's still active. I mean, he's very, very old at this point. I think he's probably in his 80s or 90s, but it seems like he's still living and active. And uh, yeah. He was born in 1932. So yes, but he is amazing, amazing composer. And this particular piece that we are talking about in the imitation of Albanese, that is dedicated to his wife. So that was special. Yeah, that's wonderful. Can you tell us um, what are some challenges that you encountered in learning this piece or performing it or recording it? You know, I love this piece so much that I don't I can't think about any challenges really. Uh, I just enjoyed, enjoyed very much playing it and putting it together with my colleague, with Car Dr. Carla Rocker. So probably when you do it as a chamber music uh, idea that is so much dance oriented and kind of like has images in it. So lots of movement. So probably kind of abilities to be free, like two dancers follow each other to be able to do it with piano. But I wouldn't consider that a challenge. I think that was more fun. Yeah. Are there other pieces that you have performed by him? You, you mentioned that he wrote chamber music. Have you played any of his chamber music? No, I didn't. I, I performed Humoresque by Chidrin. And of course, I played his Carmen Suite. In yeah. Florida. I see. Yeah. So can we um, kind of take a bit of a rabbit trail from here and talk a little bit about your life with chamber music? Um, so we've talked about you teaching in institutions and playing in orchestras, but you're also a very active chamber musician. What have you done? You know, I really believe that chamber music is so important for all of us because it's kind of like connecting on such intimate musical level with other people and that is really enriching for all of us playing with different musicians but i was really lucky to connect with great cellists who became not only my colleague and partner in the laris duo but he's also my husband dr stephen elisha so we had immediate this musical understanding when we played together and our first work was the kodai duo is um, absolutely marvelous piece and not only because that was our first work together but because i uh, that is amazing work like this landmark piece and in a way new language that was introduced by kodai in this work new techniques that he applied to violin and cello when two instruments are playing and that sounds like that maybe string quartet uh, so exciting and unbelievable. Later on, other composers started developing this genre of violoncello duo. And we have Ravel and Schulhoff and Onager. And of course, we, uh, we were fortunate to perform all those pieces together. And we have two recordings together, Duo Virtuoso and Duo Virtuoso Two. So on the first CD, we have a Mozart, famous Mozart duo. We have Boccherini and Beethoven, Haydn, and Kodak, because it, it's just impossible to go without Kodak. And second recording, it was uh, works after war, and that is 20th century works. So just kind of to cover all the areas in that wonderful genre and present how much we can do just playing together as a duo. And both our recordings were actually awarded uh, the Global Music Award. They're available. Hopefully they are educational as well, because I think some of those pieces can be accessible for younger musicians, 
Plus listening to that, that kind of develops the idea of understanding of style and new techniques, absolutely new techniques, and sometimes very tricky virtuosic techniques as well. Is there a lot of repertoire for violin and cello duo? It is. And you know, even though some of the works, like for example, two Mozart duos, they originally were written for viola and violin, but they are official, officially transcribed for cello and violin. And for great cello players, like Dr. Elisha is, Dr. Steven Elisha is a great cello player, uh, basically there are no problems with playing viola part and cello. There are no issues. Many duos are like that, and many pieces are contemporary composers also write many works for us. We performed in the Mina Center in New York City. We performed duo by Joel Feigen, and that was uh, Switching Spirits. That was a very interesting piece, and that was really great to work with living composer and having kind of like really feedback and communication and understanding of new language and things. So uh, there are many composers that write for violin and cello duo now as well. So it sounds like there's potential for future recordings and future CDs. Absolutely. <laughs> That's great. Now, if our audience members want to learn more about you, either as a soloist or as a chamber musician, or find recordings by you, where can they go? Our duo name is Ilaris, with, which connects our last name and my first name. So if they will go to ilarisduo.com, that is our website. Can you spell that out for everyone? E-L-A-R-I-S-D-U-O, ilarisduo.com or Ilaris Duo YouTube channel. They can also listen to some of works that are on our CD. They can listen to them in live performances. And of course, that will be wonderful for everybody to find those CDs on our website, or they can purchase them from MSR Classics because we recorded those uh, CDs with MSR Classics. So they're available on their website as well as a duo virtuoso. Great. Larissa, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you for showing us your life, sharing your music with us that we will hear in a little bit. I've really enjoyed hearing your very international and diverse perspective that you brought to this conversation today. Thank you for being so open and being so willing to share your thoughts and your experiences with me and our listeners. I wish you happy teaching and happy students. And now, let's take a listen.